welcome back to Straight Up. Hi Han. How is everyone doing? It's me, Kathleen, back with my fellow journalist and bestie Ellie, yet again. Here I am. Another week of juicy celebrity culture ready for you, Hans. Yes, and also very good highbrow culture. Oh yeah, we do have a real mix today. Across TV, theatre. True. Before we get into all the very juicy recommendations, however, we need to tell you about a very fun bar that we visited on the weekend. Went for a few little drinks together on Friday night. It was very Christmassy. It's my first... Christmas with knobs on is what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean... It was Christmas with knobs on. So we went to the festive, famous pop-up Miracle Bar. It started in New York and now has been running actually in the UK in the Henrietta Hotel in Covent Garden for five years. They're the only people that do the Miracle Bar in the UK. Stun. I mean, wow. If you, if you want something to get you into the festive spirit, you absolutely need to pop up to the Henrietta. In Covent Garden. And also, um, regular listeners of the podcast will remember me recommending the Experimental Group, where I stayed in Venice. Um, the Henrietta is part of the Experimental Group, so it's a fabulous hotel all round. And yeah, we went, and there's like a little fire, I mean a fake fire, and there's candles, and there's snow everywhere. It's a super nostalgic theme, so this is not where you go if you want like a chic paired back Christmas. This is like ultimate Americana, very kind of 80s fun. Like when you think of all those like childhood Christmas films, yes, it's really it's like embracing that, isn't it? Like out there decorations, like silly fun cocktail names. Like I very much enjoyed the Christmapolitan, but you in fact had a grandma got run over by a T-Rex, did you not? I did. And it came in a little T-Rex pot with a Christmas hat on it. And at first the reference was lost on me because I'd never heard of the... Um, oh, and me. We, and and yes, both of us, to be fair. Us. In fact, it was only today that we were like, why is it called my grandma was run over by a T-Rex and what does it have to do with Christmas? And we Googled it and apparently that's a famous song. Yeah. Well, my grandmother got run over by a By a reindeer. Oh, by a reindeer. <laughs> yes. So it's obviously a fun Christmassy reference that both of us were just a bit too daft to pick up on, but great drinks. Yes, very, really good. Very well made. Really good cocktails and that is the most important the thing. The most important thing. And didn't you think the nibbles were super yummy? Excellent fried chicken. Excellent fried chicken. And I quite liked the arancini. And they sort of looked Christmassy, I thought, because they had that like bit of green on the top. Like they it kind of looked like, like it was wearing baubles. a Santa hat. Yes. Or like a bauble. Yeah. Uh, so you can book a two-hour slot. That's what they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a two-hour slot. So we'd very much recommend doing it like before or after something else that you're doing very festive. Maybe like a festive friendship date, we were saying. Yeah. Like, you know, if you want to go and do something cute, whether that's like ice skating or a bit of shopping, it's the kind of thing that you want to do on that kind of day that really gets you into the spirit. Or do you know what it's really close by to? The Duke of York Theatre. Go and see The Doctor, a play about a cancelled doctor who has to make a very tough decision and gets called out by it. God, you're really, like, um, in your theatre hype at the moment, aren't you? It's so, so good. Best theatre production I've seen this year. It's in the West End. So do a cute drinks and theatre. I mean, that is peak Christmas, isn't it? Yes. Excellent bar. And do you know what else is excellent that I would like to recommend? Go on. Juno. Go on. Juno is a platform launched by two sisters in the UK to try and close the financial literacy gap. 
and to try and close the gender pay gap by basically enlightening and informing and empowering women to understand their finances more, to understand how to invest, how to, what, what to do with their pensions, like how to talk about money at work. Oh my God, that's so cool. So it's an advice platform. So it doesn't offer financial advice. It offers you the tools and the information and the network by connecting you with a community of other women um, to essentially become more financially literate so you can make love better decisions with your money. And they are our new partner wow. for the podcast, Juno. And this so is exciting. actually, it is. And it's actually very important to me because it's something that I speak about a lot with my friends. I do not know what I'm doing when it comes to investments, my pension, cryptocurrency, savings, no. savings and accounts. Especially for women. Like yes. money is not a discussed topic. No, and we've talked, I would, I have been waiting for a platform like this. So Juno is an app and you download it and it does cost a bit of money, but we do have a very juicy discount code for straight up listeners of 30% straight up in the app. That will give you 30% off. And how much is it? It costs £4.15 a month, charge it annually, but thanks to straight up, you can get a 30% discount. Uh, just use straight up at the checkout in the app when you download it. You can also get a free trial. Okay, nice. So you could do the free trial and then get our 30% off. Exactly. And what's so great about it, so I've downloaded Juno and essentially has lots of different courses that you can do. So at the moment I'm doing an investment course and it's, um, it's over three weeks and it's a 10 minute listen a day. So I literally do it on my commute and it takes you through like maybe like 21 steps where it shows you, for instance, with my investment course, it's telling me what stocks and shares are, which seems basic, but actually I didn't even know the difference between mm. a stock and a share. Um, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And telling you like about market volatility, debunking myths around like investment, like what, what, uh, God, if any, you'd, uh, got cracking on your Juno course when we were watching industry. Oh my God, I would have followed yes, exactly. it much better. And even stuff like, for instance, I thought that I had not enough money to invest and they show you that you can literally invest with as a, as a pal, that's just you need to be consistent with it and not pull it out. And they debunk loads of stuff about the markets. Like I've always been like, God, the markets are so mental. How could I ever invest? And they're like, if you look back at the whole of history, there's always a crash. And downs. Stuff, so you just can't even look at it. And they give a really good tip, which is that the first step that you should take on your investment ladder is in fact just to max out your workplace pension contributions because obviously then yes the the employer Ah, they match it anyway so it's in they match it so i have done that i've now increased my pension contribution from three percent to ten percent well done and that is obviously really good safe investment yes so um yeah i'm doing that course at the moment it's brilliant and no my favorite feature that i have to say is the fact there's a community section of the app so, for instance, there was so there's thirty five thousand women um, and non binary people on this app, and you just post like dilemmas around your finances, and people answer them. So there was one person recently who said that she couldn't afford her friend's Hindu, which is a very real issue I've yeah. been thinking about. And then all these women and non binary people were commenting like their experiences and how to help them through it. So they are like information sharing on how the person could either like tackle it with their friend or yeah. how they could like do it on a budget is it like that kind of yes. real world yes, intel exactly so there's half <gasps> the app that. is like people from juno actually like experts giving you these courses but then the community section is just other other members of the juno community who've also downloaded the app who are just sharing their experiences around money i absolutely love that i really really love it so i can't wait to give it a whirl get on board 
get yeah. started. I mean, as a freelancer, this is like literally vital for me. Mm-hmm. I am excited to hear your thoughts on it next week. Well, thank you so much, Juno. Thank you to our wonderful partner, Juno. So you can find it online at yourjuno.co or just download the app in the app store. It's called Your Juno. And our discount is? Straight up at the checkout for 30% off. Fab. Right, back on track. We need to talk about Emirata's podcast. Oh my God, we do. Hilo. Yes, and also, for fans of the Hilo, that is not okay to nick their name. I know, it's a bit lazy, isn't it? To also, like... Emily went on Pandora's podcast, not the Hilo, but her other podcast, but she definitely knows who Pandora yeah, is. She must, because she also hosted the Emirata event that we went to. That's what last I mean. Year, the book yeah. Event. yeah. So it's like you definitely had, and also the tagline is literally stolen from yeah, the Yeah, because it's like the same format. It's like, we'll be tackling higher no culture. Like yeah. it's actually, I mean, as um, the Sunday Times reviewer pointed out, and he did write a quite funny Snide review, but I feel like Snide is fair enough as when it's like stars as big as Emirata as well. Definitely. Um, he says that... Um, this is James Marriott. Yes, James Marriott. He gave it two stars and he like points out that if you're going to like steal the name and format from a very well-known podcast, like at least like do it well. Yes. <laughs> yes, they've just done a shit copycat version. They, her. But you did say, did you not, that you rather enjoyed it. You listened to the Julia Fox episode. Yes. I've not yet had so, that pleasure. So I've only listened to one episode and I listened to her interviewing Julia Fox. And at first... I was like, this is making me lose brain cells. Like, I had to listen to it on 1.5 speed. So it's simply to become... You often do that though, right? <laughs> yes. It's so funny. Both of them together have the most absurd drool. Where they're like, oh my God, did you think that? And it's just like, I cannot stand how slowly you speak. Even at 1.5 speed, it was a norm. It, it was, was still normal. slow. It was normal. No. Yeah. Um, anyway, so if you can get past the first 15 minutes, which is them telling their listeners, that you don't need an education when you have TikTok. Right. Literally. Um, then they get into a very interesting conversation about motherhood. Basically, you'll probably know this, but if you don't, Emrata was reportedly cheated on by her husband. They've split up. Um, and Julia Fox obviously split up from Kanye several months ago. They both have young sons. Mm. So they're single mums with young sons. And they have this really interesting discussion where they basically say, like, now that they are financially independent, they both have a shit ton of money. They both have what they want, which is a child. And they've been so disappointed by men that they no longer want a relationship. So Emirata was like, I'll happily have sex with men because I like sex. And she is dating Pete Davidson. But I'm not interested in ever having another relationship. I just don't need one. And Julia Fox was like, I don't even want sex. I feel quite asexual. I don't get anything from it. Oh, I saw that in a, yeah. in one of the clips I was doing the round. She's like, I don't really enjoy sex. So yeah. what's the point? So she was like, I don't get anything from men. And both of them were like, we would much rather raise our children in a kind of like old school commune way between friends. Like with other women. Yeah, so Emrata's living with another woman and she was like, I have the, the instincts that my female friend has with my son are so on a level with me that I trust her so implicitly in a way that I could never have trusted any the actual man. father? Yeah. Oh my God, that's interesting. Yeah, and Julia yeah. Fox says the same. It's like, well, you have to teach men everything. They just don't have an instinct. And that you have to teach them how to do everything Yeah, do you think that's child. instinct or do you think that's like learned because of patriarchy? Like we say, that whole like, daddy daycare, but you're an average mom. And like, you know, the language we use around why dads are like amazing for doing the most minor thing ever with their children. Whereas mums are like... Yeah, I think, I, think I think probably actually it's just as hard to do all that stuff for mums... It's just they put the work in. Yeah. And do the classes and read the books. Mm. 
But to be fair, I think there probably is. I don't know. I'm sure Mother's Instinct is also. Uh, yeah. Like it just is. I think there's yeah. probably just more attention and care. That's probably where the instinct comes in. They're just more like attentive. Yeah, but then maybe, maybe we're infantilizing men by even saying that. Like we say, and I saw a post that um, Professor Green did recently actually on his like daddy's um, channel. You know, he's got oh, that yes, unlikely yes, dad's yes, club. Yes, yeah. And he was saying that like. He, oh no, maybe he'd commented, I think it was Miss Anne Harriman, the photographer, had posted something about what I just mentioned, i.e. like they were cartoons of how we um, perceive men and women in parental roles differently. And Professor Green had basically commented saying that he actually gets a lot of that kind of condescending um, inference from other mums. Like they might be well-meaning, but it's actually not from dads. So it's not men in enforcing this like old school patriarchal view that like women are actually ultimately the number one caregiver. It's actually women as well. So they'll be like, aren't you brilliant taking your son out? And he's like, well, I've actually been like a stay-at-home dad for 19 months. And actually I'm noticing more men take paternity leave. Yeah. But I think this is, they do say this is like the first generation of men that are being like properly present in their children's lives. Yeah, you're right. That was probably quite condescending of me. Also, I do think it's very much women and not other dads that are going up to be men being like, oh my God, you look so No, exactly what I'm saying. And they're being yeah. like, ooh, daddy daycare, aren't you the yeah. best? Like yeah. women reinforce but that. But not even just patronising, but actually quite admiring. Like I find, I, me and my friends have so often walked past like a dad with baby and be like, oh my God, hot, cute dad. Like look at him, like holding his son as if that's like out of the ordinary. Yeah. Because somehow it is to us. It's for some reason there's something really cute like for instance my boyfriend was holding a baby at my friend's baby at an event the other night everyone took out their phone everyone's like oh my god look at the baby look how big he is look how small the baby is I'd just been holding the baby five minutes ago no one cares cares. yeah that's such a good point and then people were sending the picture around the next day on whatsapp and it was like oh my god look at him it was actually quite strange yeah that's really a good point the issue is and I'm not gonna get too into this because we could be here all day talking about why the UK is specifically shit in terms of childcare and the way it supports new parents but um dads are given two weeks of fucking paternity leave how the hell are you yeah. supposed to be present in your child's life when you have two weeks? At the Telegraph, it's six months. That's really good. Which is really good. Shout out to the Telegraph. And like, so it fucking should be. Do you know what I mean? Like, you need that time with your baby. And it's also not fair on the months. Like, my best friend's had a baby recently and she, um, her partner has long-term paternity leave as well because he works for like a digital first, mm. like quite modern company that has unusual, um, like HR kind of takes. But... Um, she was saying, like, if he'd gone back to work in two weeks after the baby was born, it would have been horrific. She would have been scared to be alone with the baby. Like, it's so soon after you've gone through this really traumatic, like, mm. physical experience. And it means that they can't properly bond with their kids, like, either. Yes, that's very true. Not fair. Anyway, we could literally talk about <laughs> oh, that for a whole episode. Um, was there any other hot takes courtesy of Julia Fox? Well, actually, she didn't talk about this on the podcast, but did you see her Instagram video where she said ageing was now in? Who, Julia Fox? Yes. And you know what I like with my ageing? I actually found it very annoying. Yes. Because I was like, of course you can say that as a 32-year-old. You've bleached your eyebrows grey and you've done your hair grey. But ageing is not hot for many people when they hit 65. And my mum's not going to turn around and say, actually, ageing is really in. No, she's thinking about how her health is deteriorating and how her parents have died. Well, Poona Bell did a piece for The Independent, um, like a a personal opinion piece. It was like, no, Julia Fox, ageing isn't hot. Ageing is not hot at all, actually. Like, it's actually quite long. Like, it's not a trend. Like, it's like saying breathing is hot. Or like, do you know what I mean? Is this, we've talked about this before as well, this ridiculous like commodification or like aesthetification of like every single human experience. Yes, you're so like, right. Aging is just a fact. 
Nice. And we should definitely like destigmatize aging. And she's right. We shouldn't keep like buying into um, the culture that makes us feel bad about the fact that we're aging with like creams and Botox or whatever. But neither can we just airbrush it and pretend it's really fun to get old. No, exactly. And that suddenly if you dye your eyebrows grey, then you're on trend. Like say, what about like the 65-year-old women that feels invisible? What about like... Yeah. I promise you that no one is going to wanting to like have a one-night stand with me at 70 compared to <laughs> now, unfortunately. I mean, unless Hey, well, you never fetish. know. Let's see. Who yeah. knows where we'll be in 40 years from now? I'd really like to circle back with Julia Fox in 30 years. See where she's at. See where she's at. I think she'll have dyed her eyebrows back to their normal colour. I think I she'll mean, be dying. Let's her face hair it, she's definitely like a sensationalist, like look at me, like you know what I mean? Like, I feel like she's trying to be like out there. Or not out there, you know, like she's trying to be controversial. But then my friend, I was talking about this with my friend and she was like, actually Julia Fox is one of the few people who hasn't Botoxed a shit up her forehead. Mm, interesting. you could see her forehead moving in the video. But then I was like, is she purposely moving her forehead loads in that video? Because she's saying she's just not, not going to buy another anti-aging cream. So she's trying to make a point of her forehead having like loads yeah, of Yeah, because actually when you look at it, you're like, why is your forehead moving so much? That's <laughs> so like actually unnatural <laughs> movement. Oh my God, that's funny. Okay, I'm going to look. And talking of plastic surgery, I was at a dinner the other night and everyone there had, well, almost everyone had had cheek filler I didn't think anyone was getting at our age. I knew everyone was getting Botox. I haven't, but I should. I still would say I didn't think it was everyone. Like we say, like, I have a couple of friends that have, but it's a massive minority compared to those that haven't. I've noticed that if it's in the same friendship group, they're all doing it. Like, I have a certain friendship group who are now literally all doing it. My oldest friend, my literal oldest friend has Botox. but And we're a group of six, but she's the only one that gets it. The other five of us don't. Oh, really? Yeah, although one of my friends did have lip filler... And she actually, like, she... Because you know how it goes after six yeah, months dissolves, anyway? Yeah. So she did it, like, twice. Like, she did it once, then did it once more, and then was like, actually, I prefer not having it. Even though she'd always wanted bigger lips. But then, like, the reality of doing it, she was like, it just feels fake. It doesn't feel like me. Like, it just didn't seem natural. We, we were talking about this the other day, weren't we? That we haven't lived long enough yet for us to know what the repercussions of plastic surgery and things like Botox are when you're older. We don't know how it's going to affect your face. No, and public opinion has changed. So I listened to the M. Rata episode um, called Can You Be a Feminist and Get Plastic Surgery? Mm. So guys, if you haven't listened, basically she does these chats, like the interview format, but she also does then like a 25-minute episode once a week that's like an um, M. Rata asks, and it's like some like monologue for 25 minutes about a topic like Can You Be a Feminist and Have Plastic Surgery? Um, and she basically says like, how do we play into like the male gaze and validation from men, but also, like, love our bodies. And she's like, you know, I'm a feminist, but right now I'm wearing a mini dress kind of thing, mm. um, as she's speaking. She says that she got Botox when she was 27 and that her mother would be horrified by that. She's like, I actually don't even know if I've mentioned this before, but um, she says now, obviously, everyone, like, around her in New York gets Botox. Like, when she got it at 27, that was actually kind of old to start getting Botox yes ha- yeah her mother's America. generation would be like why in the hell would you do that like until you're 50 at least and even then it's anti-feminist to be like fucking with your face like that interesting there are pros and cons to the chat episodes like it's definitely very well researched Is like it? she quotes like Roxanne Gay and like she talks about a really interesting piece from the New York Times which I thought you would find very interesting has she had other plastic surgery 
Uh, she doesn't mention, she only talks about Botox, but she quotes um, Melissa Fabo's article, The Feminist Case for Breast Reduction. So Melissa Fabo is a very famous writer. She's wrote, she wrote Girlhood. Mm. Um, she used to be a dominatrix, so she's one of these um, writers that has like a very interesting perspective on the relationship women have with their bodies and how that intersects with feminism. Um, she basically looks into like, when you're altering your body for cosmetic reasons, not physical reasons, like, is that a feminist action, like we say? And, like, why is it that, like, boob jobs are a no, but a reduction is acceptable? You know, in our mind, like, Em talks about that, Emrata. She says, like, she used to judge women that had had boob jobs while not, like, taking into account that, you know, how her own boobs have, like, played into her success. And she was, like, actually, that was, like, massively hypocritical of me to, like, judge women that would do that when, like, I, like, profit off my body looking how it does. Yeah. And it's true that, like productions are generally sought after if you've got back problems but also people get them for cosmetic reasons yeah P- particularly when we're dealing with like 90s trends like hair and chic or whatever and it's no longer that actually it's not that trendy to have large boobs anymore yeah and the writer melissa fabos basically says like it's she investigates like the shame that women feel around like wanting to look different as if mm. it's like a personal failure if you in your feminism if you feel that you don't like how you look and I did really like one thing Emily says again not to be a hater don't know how much of this is like her genuine off the cuff like um take and how much of this is like scripted by producers but she says that like feminism has given us the tools to understand why we don't have our bodies but it's also made us feel guilty about wanting to change or adjust or alter them which is a very good point like yeah. it's only we've only had like half the manual so basically she's saying that it you can still be a feminist and get plastic surgery yeah, but she's kind of obviously investigating it. It's not like hard and fast answers. So she kind of talks about how generally, obviously, with TikTok, like it's become normalised, whether that's like Bella Hadid and Charlie D'Amelio, like being upfront about nose jobs or like Cardi B talking about her like mommy makeover, mm. whole body um, refresh, like Mia Khalifa, like talking about her boob jobs, Kaylee Cuoco, like talking about, apparently she was like, as much as you want to love your inner self, I'm sorry, you also want to look good. And she <laughs> talks about the work that she's had. That done. is fair. Um, and she, yeah, she just kind of like investigates whether like, you know, obviously that's great that people are being open about how they look and that's great for other women to understand that those bodies aren't always like natural. But equally, like it isn't the responsibility of women to have to be open all the time about whether they've had work done. Yeah. Like people are allowed to keep that private if they want to. What worries me about getting work done is I do find that body shapes a bit like fashion, go in and out of season. For instance, I remember growing up being so proud of the fact that I had big boobs and it was like a massive asset for me and people always talked about it, like, oh my God, you've got amazing boobs and blah, blah, blah. And over the last few years, I'm suddenly like, oh my God, I wish I had way smaller boobs and I've looked into boob reductions in the Which past. is so interesting. And I wish I had a bigger bum and I've always had, never, I, I, I grew up thinking, I don't, I don't care about my bum, obsessed with my boobs. Now I'm like, why don't I have a bigger bum? And Emirata does actually even make that point that the boob job is actually now not the major like plastic surgery. No, it's, it's the, Brazilian, yeah, 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 yeah. the Brazilian butt lift. So, but should, and also this is all bad. I'm saying this is all awful that we think of our bodies in this way. So, which is why I'm even... I'd be worried, not that I've ever actually considered getting a people or anything, but I'd be con- I'd be worried that, what, how long is that going to last? Three years? And then, oh, I don't know, what's it going to be about next? Well, now it's all about the midriff. 
What about the midriff? Having those, like... Everyone's got their fucking midriff out. But that, to me, like, that's not new. Midriffs have been trendy since I was born. Like, yeah, do you know what I mean? That's And uh, these things do, like, come back in style. Yes, and I really do. agreed with Farah Store as well. She did in a caption on her Instagram about the whole, like, hair and chic is back. And she was like, uh, skinny's never gone anywhere. And I completely agree with her on that. It's always been trendy. Like, let's face it, sorry, I forgot that, like, all the models walking down the catwalk at every fashion week are, like, you know, plus size. Like, they're not. You know, like, ultimately, skinny is still massively fetishized. Yeah, you're right. It's not really giving answers, but it is bringing up, like, interesting thoughts. And I think it could be slightly formatted differently. I don't know what you think. I don't know what the chat was like. As I say, I haven't listened to the interviews yet. But the the monologue did feel a bit strange. Like, it was like four minutes of music at the start. I think which then, having listened to the rest, were actually intro quotes. So as in, they'd taken quotes from the 20 minutes of recording oh. and made four minutes at the start with that. And it felt a bit like, you know, in like America, there was constant ads. It was one for like macadamia nuts. Um, was, yes, I, that was quite compelling, actually. Yes. The white chocolate macadamia nuts. I was like, ooh, I quite, want quite like the idea of those. Also, I really enjoyed that segment that I talked about around motherhood and men and sex. But uh, everything after that was completely idiotic. And um, <laughs> That's what James Merritt basically says, yeah. doesn't it? It's just like celebrity gassing. But also, it's like, where's... We've done the low culture, where's the high culture? Right, yes. Which I yeah. think James says as well. It's yeah. like, actually, and also, neither of that, none of what I listened to was at all what she said she'd talk about. I mean, neither of it was low culture or high culture. It was just her talking to her mate about, about her personal raised, experience. About how she raises her son. Which was interesting, but it's not a culture podcast. Yeah, 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 I see what you're saying. Neither high nor low. And also, it wasn't really... I mean, she didn't really interview Julia Fox so much as just, like, catch up with her as a friend. Yeah. Uh, which, again, I mean, they did actually, to be fair, they did talk about their respective books. Julia Fox mm. is writing her masterpiece, as we right. know, uh, a, a book. Um, because did you see that interview where someone's like, so you're writing a book? And she was like, no, it's a masterpiece. Um, and she's also written a script called Lipstick Porn. Right. Which I think is about people in the sex industry. Um, so I'm intrigued. But I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't say mentioning a project you're working on constitutes as like dissecting culture. No, and I like M. Rata's book. Like we enjoyed it when we chatted about it, yeah. and I think there was loads of great essays in there. It brings up lots of interesting thoughts. I feel like she's absolutely allowed to like investigate complex topics around like patriarchy and feminism whilst also being a hot model. But when James Marriott was like. She positions herself as an anti-capitalist feminist voice of her generation. The book's reviewers, quite reasonably, noticed that this brave and original political stance was rather undermined by Ratajowski's being a multi-millionaire supermodel. Like, ah. it is true. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like The reviews on Spotify have been pretty terrible. Yes. I know some of that is just trolls that just love to hate Emirata, but... Yeah, I looked at the reviews on Apple and they're a mix of, like, five stars. Like, loved it. It's like being with my gal pals. And, like, this is utter drivel. Never ever listen to this. Like this is actually like toxic waste of humanity vibes. Like those toxic kind of, waste. You know of humanity. those kind of like really hardcore reviews. Have you listened to the Goop podcast? No, I haven't actually. I have no interest in listening to that. No, I don't either, and I don't know why. I just and that don't. Is all we'll say on that. That's all we'll say on that. What I will say about body image and stuff because we've chatted a little bit about this off air, and it's too good not to bring up is. If you don't follow these Instagram accounts, guys, we think you'll love people like Beauty False. So Ellie actually introduced me to a different account before and I showed her Beauty False. They've got like a million followers. I want to say it's like beauty.false, is that it? And it's just a great Instagram account run by a woman who basically, I think maybe she was a fashion student or something originally, 
or worked in beauty and definitely felt really bad about her skin. That was a major thing. And now she's like running this account which takes like pap shots and then the celebrity's own shots essentially and shows you like, look, they're not perfect. Yeah, they might post one from the red carpet where their skin looks like absolutely flawless. But in this paparazzi shot, like Kendall Jenner is like literally covered in spots. And that's fine. She's not saying that that's mm. terrible. She's just saying it's important that we recognise that this is what people actually look like. I remember when I, I had really bad cystic acne, guys, when I was younger and I had to go on Reactivate and it was that bad. And I do remember Googling Kendall, and this is really bad, I remember Googling Megan Fox and Kendall Jenner acne and looking at pictures of their real skin. Because it made me feel better. I was like, okay, you're still really beautiful with skin like mine. Yeah, and it's normal. Like, it's not weird to have any blemish on your face, you know? I think that's the point. It's like, and she'll post, I don't know, maybe like bikini shots of people. And it won't be to be like, oh, they they aren't slim. It's more to just show like, people can look fabulous in a bikini or a swimsuit without being like, literally a stick that's consorted, like contorted into a pretzel shape. I would definitely feel so much less pressure to have plastic surgery or change or like go to the gym five times a week or whatever if people weren't just constantly adding filters and stuff to their photos. I mean, I think Kim Kardashian photoshops like every picture, does she not? Oh, she must, yes. Yeah. Like, but then see, I don't find that that really makes me feel super bad, like we say, because maybe because of the industry we worked in, like you see, you genuinely do see every Instagram shot as a magazine cover that's been carefully curated. You know that that's not an accidental image. Do you know what I mean? Well, but I know it, but I also, I'm seeing it so often now. To me more, what I feel more pressure from this idea, like you say, that like everyone's having tweakments. Yes, that's really like, depressing me. I'm actually tempted now to be like, should I look into this? Like, Well, yeah, because I'm like, who am I, what am I gaining from being the only one that doesn't? Okay, moral high ground, but then I'll just look like the shit person in our friendship group. Yeah, it's more that. I don't want to look older than everyone else. <laughs> like... Exactly. I, just, I mean, I can't afford it. Someone was telling me it's like a thousand pounds to have cheek filler right. across your face. Definitely not. And also I would be, I just don't think I'd get cheek filler, you know? I'm just not sure about that. You've got very lovely plump cheeks. I feel like it would maybe look weird. But I would definitely consider other bits and bobs. I need tear trough uh, filler, What's whatever that? that is. Tear trough. You know, when they do the under eyes, that's why I've lost collagen under my eyes. Oh, Listeners, let us know if you, you've had plastic surgery. Yes, and if you have any, or like any little cosmetic tweakments that you recommend that won't make us look weird, but have been quite life-changing. We're, we're all here for it. Like we say, we take no strong feminist stance either way. No, we don't judge women. You do women, you, honey. But also neither are we saying that it is necessarily what Absolutely all not. women should do. Absolutely not. I, to, for the record, Cathers, I think you look fantastic and you don't need any. Thank you. Well, to be honest, I'll probably never do it because I just can't be bothered because I'm kind of lazy like yeah. that. <laughs> but, Actually, okay, so um, yesterday I went into this hole where I was looking at before and after pictures of cheek filler. Oh, okay. Oh, I'd quite like to see this. Yes, and it made me feel better because I, I couldn't tell which was the before and which was the after. So it didn't even look any different to you? No, because uh, it doesn't say before. Weirdly, on a lot of them, it doesn't say which is before and after. And I was actually scrutinising them. Like, I actually can't tell. That's interesting. And I was like, okay, so actually does it make any difference? And to be honest, the girls that I met who said they'd had it, a few of them were my friends, they looked completely the same. I would never have noticed. Well, you wouldn't have noticed like a before and after on them? No. The only time I've noticed people having Botox is when it looks bad. I never particularly notice when it looks... I'm never like, oh, I guess wow, that's the, that is literally yeah. like the point of it, isn't it? If it's been done well, then you don't notice. But I also think it's because we're not actually old enough for it to make a difference. We're having preventative Botox. Which actually I've read lots of stuff about how it makes no, there's no research to show it works and you should just have it when you see lines. 
Right. So do you think if Emirata was getting Botox at 27, it was preventative? Yes. So it's not actually about changing how your face looks in the moment? No, because that's why, that's why I'm not seeing any results for my friends. It's because they don't have anything to change. It's preventative. Or they've got a few lines or whatever, but it's not. it doesn't make them look older. Certainly, I think if you got Botox at 40, yes, then I could say to you, Kathleen, you look better. Yes. <laughs> so I think the issue now is that everyone's just doing it to get preventative Botox because everyone's saying, get preventative Botox because then your lines don't form in the first right. place. And it's better to iron them out you know when not to let them crease in the first place basically see my thinking used to be that i would never inject something into my face like not because i disagree with it morally for others but because of the health impacts of the individual um but as we are getting older now like i've started to get like my first proper line sorry guys you obviously can't see i Um, will tell you i'm pointing i'm pointing to my right eyebrow like you know when you furrow your brow if you're concentrating like you put your eyebrows down so i've started to notice like a rivet in my forehead there. Do you know what though? Um, I don't. If you did get a rivet there, which I don't think you do, I I don't wouldn't see that as aging you. No, but I'm noticing in myself, and I guess this is where it taps into our insecurities about aging generally. It's not even about how it looks to anyone else. It's to me that I'm like, oh my god, my face. It's official. Yes, it's. I've got a wrinkle. I see what you're saying. Yeah, you know I mean? it's kind of like the grey hair, but like grey hair, I feel as well. I'm like, well, you can always dye it. Whereas a wrinkle seems more final, you know. Yeah, to be fair, I, my big thing is crow's feet wrinkles around. Yes, the eyes. you've said that to me actually, literally since I've known you. Yes. So and I my think friend, that that's I you like, imagining oh, no, but it. Small lines are nice, yeah. and it's like they're yeah, attractive. You're saying that because you don't have any. Mm, interesting so I mean, take. the ones that say that don't have them well that's my take as we said on the whole like skinny versus curvy thing isn't it yes because we were having this discussion the other day you were like you don't like being called skinny because you are skinny it's true it's I, in you. I, yeah yes. i don't like it yeah you think it's an, like quite offensive, offensive yeah. whereas if someone called me skinny i'd be gassed so yeah. as we did actually and if you're listening we are very sorry it's very useful to hear these things as well I accidentally did upset a listener by calling Maya Jama skinny and gorgeous. And I absolutely did not mean that in the context of the two words being together. But it is interesting because that is just, that is what like the world has like subliminally told me my whole life that skinny is gorgeous. Yeah. Skinny equals gorgeous. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Although I think my, my, I I think I, my Instagram algorithm, I'm so plugged into Instagram accounts where women are super curvy that actually I think I now have body dysmorphia in the other way, where I'm like, oh my God, I need to put on weight. Yeah. And like you say, well, yeah. I never look at pictures of bums because I already have a big bum. So like, I don't scroll past a picture on Instagram of like a woman with a big bum and be like, oh my God, that looks so great. I'm so jealous. Whereas like say, if I've got to see someone with like a lovely cleavage or something and a really flat stomach, I'm like, oh, you look great. I wear minimising bras sometimes. Interesting. It's mad. But I can see, I do know lots of women that have a larger bosom with a small frame do that because some if unless you're wearing something that's tighter it can like make you look larger than you are on the top and also i think sometimes it's you it, you feel matronly rather than sexy sometimes yeah and i will say my mom said that to yeah. me before as well like it means there are a lot of things you can't wear like bikinis and yes. stuff like that that like you can't go braless like i long and, to wear yeah. a dress with spaghetti straps sadly no yeah i can't wear a lot of those things which is a shame because I actually have quite a slim like shoulder and back. Yeah, you have a tiny back. So I would look quite nice with yeah. that kind of, you know, style. Style, but can't. Could you not get one of those stick-on bras? I don't know. I once tried, I tried to weigh one of my boobs once. I was like, how are they this heavy? I wanted to <laughs> get a number on it. It was actually quite hard. I don't think it like came up. But I think they are too heavy for stick-ons. Right. Well, but maybe I will try. I mean, speaking of like these TikTok weight loss trends as well, I really wanted to talk to you. This is not, absolutely not suggesting that. 
anyone should do this it's definitely very dangerous we should but, not do this is what we're um, saying yes absolutely not but there's actually like this massive trend at the moment about this weight loss drug I think it's called Ozempic have you seen that suddenly everyone's like I saw Jamila Jamila about it. Uh, Jamila Jamil wrote about it yeah so I think um, correct me if I'm wrong it's a drug that's used uh, it's supposed to be used for um, diabetes so it has some kind of impact on like blood sugar and stuff but celebrities are allegedly using it just to lose loads of weight. So, like, people are saying, she's not commented, but people are saying that Kim Kardashian used it to get into that Marilyn Monroe dress. Mm. Um, there's a similar drug called Wegovy or something, which um, Elon Musk tweeted about using, that he's used that. Um, Andy Cohen, you know, the host on um, Bravo that does, like... Yes. He's, like, been... So he tweeted being, like, everyone is suddenly showing up 25 pounds lighter. What happens when they stop t- taking Ozempic? Like, it's suddenly, like, swept Hollywood. But it's literally injections. Like, that can't be good for you long so term. It burns your fat off. I think so. That cannot be good. That cannot be good for you. Also, you're not losing weight in a healthy way, so aren't you just going to have, like, elasticated skin? Yeah, and I guess that's what Andy Cohen's saying as well. Like, when they stop taking the injections, what hell are they going to look like? They'll just be folds. Yeah. Oh, dear. They'll, it's like in that cartoon where, like, the body disappears and all you're left is a pair of trousers. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that visual image works for anyone else, but <laughs> that was really funny for me. Uh, so, on from toxic body image struggles. I know, God, I feel like we could literally talk about that I know. forever. I mean, I must say, hats off to Emrata. She she prompts some interesting convo. She does. And I also would like another episode to be dedicated to skincare, my favourite topic of conversation. Yeah, I would love that. I was actually I mean, the listeners starting... might hate that. Let us know no. if you would. <laughs> I would say that me and my friends talk about skincare with like such relish. Interesting. I was going to start a WhatsApp group actually with some of my friends to swap beauty pie recommendations. Oh, I'd like to be in there. Like if I need tips on skincare, I'd ask you. Yes. You don't really want like a dead weight in there that's only hoovering up tips and can't tell you the difference between like retinol and vitamin C. You're not allowed in my WhatsApp group. However, there is is a very good existing Facebook group. I think it's The Cut have their own skincare group. Do they? The New York Magazine. I'm definitely going to look at that. That's cute. So do look at that. It's really good. Anyway, um, aside from that, shall we talk about sex and monogamy? Yes. Mammals. Have you seen it, gals? Gals and guys? It's the new James Corden series. Even though James Corden was cancelled by us a few weeks ago in our podcast. Yes. Well, in a funny way, the character in this new show, it's a dark comedy on Amazon Prime, six episodes. He plays a chef called Jamie, who's just about to open a new restaurant, which is quite ironic that the whole Balthazar thing came out as this programme was launching. But, yeah, I mean... Thoughts rating out of ten? So I personally really liked it. I totally get that it has shortcomings, and I did actually very much agree with a couple of the reviewers that would say that like pointed out, you know, where it's not always perfect. But sudden, like just because something's good doesn't mean that therefore suddenly it should be held to a standard of perfection. Do you know what I mean? I think you're and right. Actually, when I think about it, it's kind of what we've said a lot about um, just actually getting enjoyment out of something without worrying what anyone else is saying about it. It's a good, funny watch. You know, you're not going to not enjoy watching six episodes of that. I think absolutely. Um, so top line for people that don't know, essentially James Corden, his character is a Michelin chef and early on in the first episode he finds out his wife has been cheating on him, which is quite interesting because it's not often that we see female philanderers on screen. No, and I think they were really trying to make that point, weren't they? Like say, if it was a programme the other way around about a wife that finds out her husband's cheating, it would have been really boring from the so offset. So boring. Because uh, it would be predictable whereas so the wife is very beautiful the french so, actress what's her name so she's not actually french i was actually looking at her oh, today. She's not? no she's part greek 
Um, and she is she's a, called Melia Melia something like that we Melia should definitely check that Melia Krelig yes that's it Melia Krelig and she's not Stun. she's like not really been in anything before I was like I she, I looked at her MDB I mean one thing that is slightly unbelievable is that a woman that beautiful would be going out with James Corden I know um, well, actually I was going to ask about this looks. because mm. I do have a constant debate with people actually it's quite weird that I have this conversation with so many people but about punching up and down I find it really sad when people say oh my god he's really punching but I was talking to my friends mm. um, who says that she would much rather that her friend said to her that she's punching so that she could like feel good about her boyfriend being hotter than her than friends say he's punching. he's punching. And I was like, are you mad? I want to be the hot one in the relationship. I mean, I get the sentiment, but I mean, it's kind of, if you're talking specifically about a couple that you like know well, it's they're kind of um, like rude other way, isn't it? It's you, and that's, the, and that's yeah. the other thing, is that it's also terrible that we have normalised this as if it's like a normal thing to say as a com- compliment. Yeah, because it's guy, actually not a compliment. No, so I remember this guy, open, <laughs> I was at a New Year's Eve party two years ago, and I opened the door, me and my boyfriend opened the door together to someone, we were in someone else's house, it wasn't our flat, and we opened the door to let someone in, and the guy, I hadn't seen him for about ten years, but he was going out with someone I knew, and he looked at me, and he looked at my boyfriend, who he'd never met, but he'd seen me, as I say, about ten years ago. And he said, is he your boyfriend? And I went, yeah. And he, he went, how did you get him? <gasps> and I have never forgiven him. No, I don't blame you. I was so offended, but I think he saw it as a compliment. That is so rude. I would take that as, like, yeah, a massive dick. But I do think Slight. if my boyf- if he'd said that to my boyfriend, he'd have been really proud no, I think men find that offensive. Oh, do you think? Yeah, me and Marlon talked about that before oh, really? as well. Yeah, I think if you say to a man, oh, you're punching, then you're basically saying you are not good enough for her. That's essentially what the subtext of that is. Don't you think part of that is just because he's ticking conventional boxes, like being very tall? I know that sounds ridiculous, but do you know what I mean? People like seem to love like a tall man, for example. Yeah, but it's, like, yeah, it's quite unsolicited. I think people should stop saying that to people in public. Oh, I do. At all. And actually, on the note of the tall, as Richard Osman, the writer, says, he's really tall. Well, not writer, he's actually mainly a TV person, isn't he? But the one who wrote The Thursday Murder Club. Oh, yeah. Um, he's really tall and he says, like, PSA for people, you don't need to tell people that look a certain way and have looked like that their whole life, that they look a certain way. Like, tall people are well aware that they're tall. You don't need to go up to them and be like, wow, you're so tall. Like he said, his whole yeah. life. So it's only a small thing, but it's actually, like, really ground him down over his life. Like, having people feel that they have the right to comment on your appearance constantly is super, like, demoralising. Yes, and I think people assume that it's a compliment, but it's not always a compliment. Some men feel insecure about being so tall. Oh, yeah, he said he hates being that tall. He yeah. already feels that he sticks out like a sore thumb and he's so embarrassed when he goes to, like, the theatre or the cinema that he's going to be, like, blocking someone's view and at a gig he has to, like, stand at the back even though he has terrible eyesight because he's, like, so oh, self-conscious about it and stuff. Oh, my God, he sounds so cute. So it is really interesting, yeah, that, like, you just don't need to... I think a good lesson from all of that is yeah you just shouldn't con- comment on other people's appearances unless it's like also there's no you know really well exactly. and it's in a context that you know is going to be affirming for them and also it means that you're only valuing their relationship in terms of their aesthetics he may look better but he might be a terrible boyfriend or vice exactly. versa and well quite frankly in mammals that's kind of the vibe at the beginning isn't it we're not going to give away spoilers because lots of twists lots of twists lots of turns quite predictable some of them but uh it's oh, it's by Jez Butterworth, by the way, guys, who is this like superstar playwright. Um, he wrote Jerusalem, which people say is the funniest play ever. Um, don't know how much that's true. You're more of the theatre. I haven't honey seen here Jerusalem, but I went to see The Ferryman, which was very good. Yeah, he's like renowned for his stage work and quite a bad TV series called Britannia, which oh I don't yeah, recommend. this was only his like second foray into TV, yes. I think. 
But um, it was good. I read an interview with him where he said, actually quite interestingly, that he wanted to explore the topic of monogamy because he felt that, and this is a quote, that marriage per se is about the controlling of women's desires and the distribution of land rights. Right. So it's, for him, it's quite like... Serious stuff. Gendered. Yeah. Well, he does... I mean, the show is definitely tapping into that, isn't it? Like, that gender dynamic of, like, what's acceptable for men and what's acceptable for women and why do we frame something like cheating in such a different light? Like, why is it boys will be boys versus, like, the harlot, essentially? Yes, and actually the the woman, the Amelia Krelig's character... Um, Amandine, which fun fact yeah. is my middle name. So she does play a she plays a French woman, even though she's not French, uh, called Amandine, yeah. and my mum's French, so that's why. That's and then he names his restaurant. He's opening a fresh re- French restaurant in it as the commission star chef, as Elle said, and he's calling it Amandine. So Amandine actually is a type of almond cake, which is also very on brand for me because I love cakes. Cute. Yeah, it's really sweet. Yeah, I didn't know that. I just thought it was yeah a French name. I was really pleased when I found that out. Um, there's quite a few bakeries in France called Amandine. Mm. Anyway, uh, but she has this quite good speech halfway through where she says, like, it's so hypocritical of people who are faithful to look down on people who cheat or who want maybe a polyamorous relationship because, yes, they may not technically cheat, but how many times are they going off to, like, have a wank or masturbate to the guy from work Mm. in the next door room without their partner or watch porn? Like... That is still emotionally cheating. You're just kind of doing it without any benefit. Like, not all the benefits that you could Mm. get from having sex with lots of different people. I think she's saying that it's still wrong to, like, the deception. But maybe... But it's she's saying that monogamy is always going to let people down. So why do we attach so much, like... Meaning. Meaning to it. We see it as morally superior. Yeah. And when we shouldn't. Because actually, she says, it's completely untenable that you would be able to satisfy someone... Fully. And the, Who's... Uh, Amandine says Amandine's saying yeah. that. She says, like... She said, the pressure on you to be the cock for yeah. me. To, to represent all the cocks. Well, everyone says that. Um, <laughs> all the, like, relationship experts say that, don't they? They're like, you shouldn't ever expect to get, like, everything from one person. You can't. Um, and, I mean, I don't know what And your friendships and stuff as well, but... Well, he obviously, like, adores her, doesn't he, in the show? Like, he's meant to be this, like, amazing, like, doting husband. By the way, how weird in the first episode that Tom Jones has that cameo. Like, Tom Jones is in it. So there is quite a lot about the show. As I say, I can see why it's had some bad, like, well, quite a lot of bad reviews, to be honest. Even though I very much liked it, just because there are some what-the-fuck moments. Like, why is Tom Jones in it? I actually have the answer to that. Go on. So Jez Butterworth said that the reason he has Tom Jones in it is because... He is the archetypal have your cake and eat it. He has been with the same women all his life, but according to Des Butterworth, he slept with 10,000 women. Has he actually? Because I knew he met his wife when he was like 16, but I didn't know because so I've interviewed him and he like, talked about her. But oh, yes, you did. Yeah. Tom Jones. So it seems to me, I don't know enough about him, but that Tom Jones has an open marriage. Right. Okay, I didn't know that. Okay, well, that's funny that he was like, sure, I'll be in it. So he's clearly a se- a, an anti-monogamous sex symbol. Right. Okay, that is so. fun fact. At first I was like, because it starts with the couple racing through the countryside and they're doing a kind of like baby moon where they're going to stay in this like gorgeous seaside place. And I assumed maybe it was meant to be in Wales because, and that's why Tom Jones was there. And I'm like, oh no, it's Cornwall. I will say as well. Oh yes, I thought it was Wales. Like the mammals metaphor could have been really brilliant and it ends up being quite laboured. Like mammals, obviously guys, monogamy, like we're all animals really. Like aren't humans just the same as like the chimp is kind of obviously what they're getting for that, going for there. And there is this metaphor with like this 
spectacular like blue whale that appears right in the beginning of the first episode and then again at several points to like say something about the main relationship and there's also a stag and like I love those surreal moments like in theory like I think that could be really clever but it falls a bit flat I think you're right do you know what I mean yeah I also I was gonna say did you like the fun fact about the meadow vole what the hell was the meadow vole I think they talk about how the meadow vole is one of the few mammals to be monogamous and that even after their partner vole dies they won't remarry oh I mean not not Oh my god, that is so cute. Yeah, and I googled meadow voles and they are as cute as you would imagine. Oh, meadow voles. Are they like naked mole rats? Because I have a a soft spot for naked mole rats. They're like like really cute looking, not naked vole, meadow (laughs) vole. Um, Look, they're quite fluffy. Oh, they are cute. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. Oh. Um, So lock up your cats. (laughs) Because... My what? cat killed, oh my God, my cat killed a vole the other day and my boyfriend had to pick it up. And really? when he... Where was it? I didn't know there was many voles in one word. In one's well, word. I'm saying vole. I'm right. romanticising it. It was a mouse. But, right. Um, <laughs> but, um, voles and mouse, the same things. I didn't actually no, know that. Mice. they're not. Oh God. They're not. They're, they're I thought voles had no tails. Oh, maybe you're right. Like, they, like more like a hamster backside. Voles but, are smaller. But I think I'm wrong, because I think when you just pulled out the picture, there was definitely a tail there. Oh, yeah, you can have a long oh, yeah. tail. Oh, my God, how funny that that's, like, the number one Googled question. Do voles have long tails? It's not just me that's no. confused about the length of their tails. I think voles are smaller and narrower. Right. Anyway, my ne- my cat killed a mouse, and my poor boyfriend had to pick it up. And when he put it in the dustpan and brush, he realised that the vole, the mole, that was <laughs> the... <laughs> The mouth started to move. Oh my god, it was alive! No, it was so full of maggots that <gasps> the maggots were, no. were carrying the mouse along the floor. No, that is literally. He said he had PTSD. Horrific. Yes, that is literally. And do you know horrific. what he did to try and make me try and understand how his trauma felt? Whilst we were watching mammals, and I turned away to do something, I went. To, I think I went to get some eclairs, some chocolate eclairs, and when I turned back. He put on, not mammals, he put on a video of a mouse decomposing with maggots coming out of its stomach. And when I looked back at the screen, that's what I saw. And he found it hilarious. Yeah, I bet. Men are trash. So, um, what's the word? Uh, To be fair, I have a bit of schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. How do you say it? Schadenfreude? Schadenfreude. Is that how you say it? Schadenfreude? Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. I think it doesn't have that M. The N, yes. I've actually (laughs) not seen that word written down. (laughs) It's one of those ones you just say. Anyway. Sorry. um, So the meadow vault, that's got nothing to do with it. Right, I was actually going to go back to mammals, (laughs) but if you would like to go back to the meadow vault, then we can. I'm not even sure if it was in the show. It might have been a private research session. Oh, okay. (laughs) The remarrying of meadow voles. Yeah, I must say, I don't remember that moment, but it also does sound like something that would be in the show. Um, I would just say my main beef with the show, and this is my issue with quite a few things I've watched recently, is, like, I feel like everything is wrapped up, like, so quickly compared to, like, the laborious scene setting at the start. So, like, things are, like, really laid out for the first, like, five episodes, and then everything is resolved in the last one. And you're like, well, you barely gave any explanation on anything there. I've only been able to access four episodes... Oh, that's weird, because there are six. But I checked to be like, <laughs> yeah. is there more? Like, I, I mean, obviously, there was a cliffhanger ending. So I'm sure they're probably going to do more, right? Oh, so I don't maybe know. I've just seen the whole thing. Uh, 
yes, I don't want to say what happens right at the end because we're going to ruin it for all our gorgeous listeners. Sorry, guys, if we're already giving too much away. Um, but... I think you're right. I think I've seen all six and I just assumed it was there the must be more. Season. Yeah, no, it felt like a weird drop-off. Like, you expect there to be two more episodes after that, I would say. I wonder if we've watched all the weeks. Well, no, we have, I checked, like I say. Because I was like, are they doing six, then six or something? We've seen it all. It's a six-parter. That's what's really odd. What? Um, I know, it doesn't seem wrapped up enough. But all I can think is that they must be leaving it open for a second season. Because otherwise, that is not satisfying. That is also too short a season and they should, they've done it wrong. Yep. So, I would say that that needs to be improved for further TV things. <laughs> <laughs> I've recently been watching The Handmaid's Tale, finally got into it. I need to watch that. And yeah, there was a scene in the episode I even watched yesterday that I'm like, hello, I didn't see the main bit of like the rescue. And, I, well, if you still like horror films, Catherine's you might like got this. a really snooty face on right yeah. now. And she's also working <laughs> I actually finger. do have my finger in the air. <laughs> have you seen Fall? The film, it's like, you might have seen an advert for it. It's like a new thrillery film about two women who climb like a massive telephone post and, <laughs> shocker, they can't get back down. So you know that film about the women that go under the sea into the shark cage and then the shark cage breaks and it's called like 32 metres down or something no, like no. that? Have you not seen that either? No. Right, well, it's its own type of film and this is one from the director. It's like an edge of your seat kind of film. And is it also known as a shit film? Yes, but I will say the tension is expertly like generated and oh, okay. it is quite a fun watch and it definitely gives you like a visceral feeling when you're watching it. But like, so obviously it's about two girls that like get stuck up this like ridiculously yeah, yeah. tall tower. Sorry for this. Spoiler guys, if you are going to watch it, like don't listen now, but it is quite a predictable format. So I think you could probably guess this just from looking at the film poster. Um, <laughs> they get rescued and the rescue scene, or when there's a rescue, you didn't see the rescue scene. I'm like, I'm sorry. We've just waited. These people have their, li- their like lives in their hands for an hour and a half. I don't want it to like have the, some semblance of the sound of a helicopter and then suddenly they're fine. Like well, I want the rescue. So I think it's first, it's quite hard to do a successful happy scene. So that might be why. Right. But also, so it's not a horror film. It's like a thriller. But surely someone needs to die. Really? Well, I don't want to get too much into it because I'm going to give it. One of the girls should have fallen off the pole, I think, for that to be compelling. Well, I don't want to give too much away, but what I will say is it's not a straight and narrow two saved situation. So it's a desperate rescue. Oh. Yes. And you don't see it. But I was like, it must be a budget issue. Do you like horror films? Not really, no. I like thrillers. I don't like horror. I don't like seeing like blood and gore for no reason. I don't like gratuitous violence. No, you and don't. And I just, like, I've, which I've said on the podcast before, I'm very much of the school of thought of, like, you shouldn't intake that negative shit. But don't you want to see Timothy Chalamet as a cannibal? Is that in Any Bones, Other Bones, Bones whatever it's called? Gore. Yes, I will be watching that. I like the advert for that. It a lovable too, cannibal. Yes. But it's not just about that. Do you know what I mean? It's not horror for the sake of horror. No. And I don't like... Obviously, like we're saying, those old school sleepover films that I used to love, I would never watch now, like Hostel or Saw or like, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. Yes, I've got, as I've got older, I can't do gruesome horror no, so much. No, no. Um, I think it's I, horror in real life, quite frankly. No, you're right. However, I do really want to see The Barbarian for horror fans. That's one of the few horror films that, as a journalist, I've seen absolutely glowing reviews. Okay. Yeah, apparently it's really good. And is it more thrillery, psychological thriller? I have no idea what it's about. I haven't even looked. A barbarian, perhaps? Yeah. <laughs> what is a barbarian? Just a perverted person? No, the barbarian, it's, like it's like another word for savage. So it'd be like, the barbarians at the gates. Like, it's like what they used to say about savages and people from, you know, it's like probably some sort of biblical... It's a young woman discovers the rental home she booked is already occupied by a stranger. God, what a cliche. Gosh. It doesn't, there's no barbarians in sight. No. <laughs> I'm like, is that the name of the hostel? Or, uh, 
Well, anyway. Um... Well, oh, one final fact that I will say about mammals, because I was like, okay, I did not get this on watching, but the New York Times reviewer points out that apparently it becomes clear through opaque references that Jez Butterworth, the writer, is in fact loosely modelling mammals on the Tempest and the Shakespearean romance. My God. Did you get that? Is that necessary? <laughs> I mean, it's, that's quite a Jazz Butterworth thing to do, though, isn't it? If you're, like, some high flouting playwright, you're obviously going to try and do something, like, um, you know, laboured. Well, that's very hypocritical of him, because may I reference a direct quote from Mr Butterworth? Oh, go on. We've got all these highfalutin ideas about how we should behave when we're actually we're just beasts. Interesting. So he's being highfalutin whilst mocking the highfalutin. And I will say the acting is excellent, like James Corden's sister in it. Name? Oh, Sally Hawkins. She is excellent. What the hell is but she she's doing? She's a little bit wasted. She's Mrs. What Coco is that Chanel stuff? Oh, that's a huge failure of the show, actually. That was my worst thing of the show. These weird, like, yeah, dream imagination sequences where she's Coco Chanel's um, assistant in yes. Paris. That was, I was very like, odd. Are they going to pursue a very serious schizophrenia? Um, yeah, I couldn't line. quite make head and a tail of them. And I thought she was going to kill herself in the water. Yeah. Turns out she's just having. She's a... just reading Ch Coco Chanel's memoir. I'm being a bit mad. Yeah. Maybe she, it is going to have a mental health storyline, in which case, obviously. That's I mean, I think it is meant to be like gesturing at the fact that she's processing some very difficult, like real things in her life through this like imaginary realm because she actually can't face it. That's what I got a bit. But... That's sensitive, but it's this, that's this whole other show. No, there are lots of funny moments, and I will ultimately say I think James Corden is bloody funny in it, isn't it? Like. Sorry, but that moment where he goes to, like, punch that guy and then doesn't... And he's like, what are you doing? He's, like, gone to literally, like, whack him I in know. the face. And he has to move... He has to, like, pretend that he's, like, stretching his arm. And it's just so tragic. And I think that's what's funny about James Corden or his characters. Do you know what I mean? Like, he is that it's, person. Yeah, it's the comic tragedy in him that makes him funny. I actually remember finding that scene distinctly unfunny. Did you? Yeah. Oh, my God, I literally, like, laughed out loud. I think they're really different... Different um, funny... Yeah. Bones, funny. We do. And I thought, but I think if you just want to come home and turn your brain off and watch something comforting and quite funny. Yes. I can't think of anything else right and now. And I really like the way, like, the world it had created. Like, yes. I liked the shots. I liked, like, the saturation of the colour. I liked, like, the looks at, like, the British countryside and then at London. You know what I mean? Like, it's all done very beautifully and stylishly, isn't And Mila Krelig, sorry to be so shallow, but it's so extraordinarily beautiful that I would watch it just for her. She is, and she's a great actress. And she has amazing fashion in it. Oh, well. I hadn't really thought about the fashion, but that's actually, like, you know. It's like fun, like, cosmopolitan mm. older lady. Yeah. Not that she's old, but you know what I mean? Like you say, it's not like, I'm a TikToker. No. It's, it's like, like, I'm a parent and sophisticated marketing strategist like or whatever her job's meant Jigsaw to be. Jigsaw and yeah. Karen Millen. Yeah. Whistles. Yes. So, definitely I would give it a six out of ten, so I'd say, watch it. <laughs> I think that sounds quite ungenerous, but... Obviously, you're coming with your newspaper hat on. Yes. I would say an 8 out of 10, within the context that it isn't, you know, a game-changing piece of art. What's that your favourite It will probably TV be up there with your top five, five things of 2022, I reckon. Do you know what's coming back that I can't wait to see? I Hate Susie season two. Oh, see, again, I trailed off on I Hate Susie season what? one. Started to find a bit dull towards the latter half of the season. Oh, I find Billy Piper so good. And it's written by Lucy Preble, who... Also co-wrote Succession. I know. Wild. Succession's coming back as well. New season's starting soon, apparently. I think they saw them filming it, didn't they? Or yes. saw something in the headlines about it. It's coming back, so it's Ted Lasso. Oh, I don't care about Ted Lasso, and I'm surprised you do, because it's Will Ferrell. What? No, it's not. It? It's Jason Sudeikis. 
You knew that. I did know that because of our Don't Worry Darling. Yes. Right. Why did I think God, it was Will Ferrell? God, we're not in a relationship or live together. We would not be able to watch the same stuff. It's true. We could listen to the same podcasts. And read the same books. But other than that... We have different views on television. Do you think it's something to do with our visual... Like, our eyes? I don't know. There's something really strange, dis- like weird about the disconnect we have when it comes to the visual medium. Yes. <laughs> really odd. Anyway... Um, we will try and find some things that we both like. No, we both like that. That's true. We what? actually did have, I would say, we have the overall same opinion on mammals. Yes. With two points of difference. Yes. Oh, the, the, six versus eight. <laughs> to be fair, it was because I was trying to think earlier when I was like, oh, we're going to talk about mammals. I watched it like a, like a week ago now. I watched it when it first came out and I didn't write anything down. So I was like trying, because I was like, there are definitely laugh out loud moments. And I was like, wait, what are those moments? So I was trying to think of some examples and that's the one that really stuck out to me. The punching, yeah. And yeah, his just like shock and horror, which I guess is what Jess Butterworth is doing with the quotes you mentioned earlier in that like the audacity of like, just like the funniness of how like outraged we are by what is ultimately like a very human thing or a very animal thing, I guess. Yes. A very yes. innate thing. I think also it's just refreshing to watch a female cheater in a relationship on screen. Yeah. For that alone, even if you don't find it as funny as Kathleen. But in a strange way, James Corden's outrage is quite funny, is it not? Yes, I suppose. Yeah. It, it feels like his absolute like flabbergastedness at the fact that his wife is cheating on him. Yes. Is quite fair. funny. To be honest, I do. I found him really funny in One Man, Two Governors. Did you ever see him on stage? I didn't. He was very good in that. He should have stuck to theatre, I think. Oh, well. I I think he was good in this. Do you know what? It's because I can't... It's just James Corden walloping It is. Around. And you would have thought that they would have at least not called the character Jamie. Yes. I did find that an odd choice. Are you, are you purposefully trying to assimilate the character and the actor? They must be. And he was very much a James Corden type, like we're saying. Tragic. Like, a bit oafish. he's not listening to this. <laughs> well, it is a bit tragic, isn't it? If you, like, find out your wife's cheating on you when you're, like... Meant to be on your baby mood or whatever, and um, that's not a spoiler. That's literally the very basic. So to finish, Kathleen, I think we should talk about friendship very briefly, since we're friends. Friends. And, um, Do you know that reference? No. No. What is it? <laughs> what is it? The in-betweeners. Oh, I have. Oh, no, I didn't. No, we can I... be a bit in-betweenerishly awkward sometimes yes, as we well. Can. So. And actually, I have watched the in-betweeners. Thank God. No, it's not your friend who's in the in-betweeners. No, but I would love that. If one of my friends was in the interviews, I'd be happy. It's... Is it someone else you know? Yes. People just do nothing. Yes, well, he's not my friend, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's the um, <laughs> the husband of my best friend's sister's friend, if you'd like the, uh, the full breakdown. If anyone has an idle moment that's a very funny... Well, funny in, like, accidentally laugh at me, not with me, video of me trying to interview the entire of Corrupt FM... For GQ. Was that when you did with Big Nasty as well? And Big Nasty was there, and Big Nasty's mate. That's a lot to take on in one interview. It was like seven people. I think it's actually quite uncomfortable to watch. It's like one woman being surrounded by seven men with no control. <laughs> but if you have a moment, watch it. It's on Facebook, I think. Um, anyway, friendship. So I was watching, <clears throat> I was reading this um, piece by a writer in The Atlantic called The Six Forces of Friendship. Cute. And this is a woman who has spent the last three years compiling The Atlantic's friendship files. Ooh. And so for the last three years, she's done a 100 interviews with different types of friends. And it's really cute. For instance, there's the two stay-at-home dads who became friends because they were both stay-at-home. Two neighbours who became friends after they decided to share a subscription to People magazine. Two friends who got the same cancer. 
um, right. friends who became friends in their in their forties. Like, there's just so many different types of friends. And I read the, the one I read um, specifically was between these two friends who became best friends on Bumble using Bumble BFF. That's cute. Which I've always been intrigued. My sister started using it in Lisbon because she's moved to Lisbon successfully. Mm. Um, and I've always wanted to do that. I mean, I have enough friends, but if I... If you move to a new city, I mean, I was yeah. listening to an interview with Whitney Hurd, the founder, oh, the other day. I really want to listen to her. Yeah, it's really good, actually. And she is basically saying that that is a com- completely the goal for Bumble. Like, it's not meant to be just for dating. Like, she wants it to just be about meeting new people in, like, a kind space online. Yes. In any yes. walk of life. I think maybe we should try it. Maybe we should make a new friend on Bumble. Separately. What, rather back. than the same one new friend. I guess what's really cute about this, it's quite life-affirming for people that are worried as well that, like, your friend-making days end, like, in your yeah. 20s or whatever. It's, like, actually you can make friends, like, throughout your life in all these different ways. It's really cute. It's really cute. Oh, I love um, that. And, yeah, so I, I would have a look at her different friendship files because they're really nice. And in this article specifically, she talks about what she's learnt over those three years of speaking to 100 friends. Uh, and she says that there are six forces of friendship. <gasps> Go on, do you have them all? Can you hit me with them? They are... Accumulation, mm-hmm. as in hours spent together. Apparently you need 100 hours to become really good friends. That's interesting. Mm. Attention, so how much you give them space in your life. Um, intention, she says that a lot of friendships don't happen naturally. There has to be courtship from one of them, which I would mm. say actually a lot of my really good friends, I feel like I have been courted or courted. I think that's definitely true mm. because there's also people that I've met, say, in the last, like, five years that I'm like, I really specifically, like, like you. I want to be your friend. I yeah. want to be your friend. Like, I actually could so imagine you, like, seamlessly fitting into my friendship group or whatever, but then I, like, never chase it up and follow it up and, like, you really like that person, but yes. you are literally just, like, um, acquaintances because it takes groundwork from Courtship. one party. yeah. yeah. And I do remember one friend doing this. I, she won't mind me saying this if she listens to it. It was when I left, she left our school for sixth form. We never really spoke at school. But then she started Facebook messaging me when she left to go to another school. And I was like, this is so strange. Like, we never spoke at school. Why is she suddenly singling me out? We were in completely different friendship groups. Um, and at first I found it really odd. And then I realised she just clearly wanted to be my friend. <laughs> and then we started meeting up. She was quite liked you, believe yeah. it or not, Eleanor. And everyone was like, why have you become friends with this person once she's left? Why weren't you friends at school? Yeah. I was like, I don't know. She just decided to be friends with me. Yeah, and I guess maybe you just, yeah, weren't in the environment. Like we say, to do like the accumulation. Exactly. Or, like, and we became really good friends and she's fantastic. So I was And really you're friends glad. to this day? Yeah. That is super cute. I actually read something the other day. I think I saw it as like a kind of classic like response to like an agony aunt thing or something on friendship. But it was a theory that most friendships um, only last 15 years. And so that's why most, a lot of people say that their best friends like live abroad or in Australia yeah. because those are the friendships that actually survive the 15 year cycle because they're not so close that, uh, I don't know if that's true. I mean, I don't know if out. I believe that because a lot of my friends I've had longer than 15 years. So I don't know if that's true, but interesting take. A lot of people do say that, you know, it is definitely something you hear. Oh, my oldest friend lives in America, Australia, somewhere, you know what I mean? I feel people are quite good at keeping those, like, relationships with someone that's, like, physically quite far away. Interesting. My best my best friend, who was literally my best friend for about 15 years, I now no longer speak to. Actually, and did they move somewhere? Uh, they, I moved away. No, we managed to... No, weirdly, we managed to remain best friends after we both moved to different schools. It was when she moved back to London. It was when she moved to London, where I was living, that we suddenly stopped being friends. 
I think we were we had changed so much that actually we were unable to be compatible because we were just we had these preconceived ideas of each other as literal children. Yeah, so you didn't even know what the adult person we is actually able like. To, and I didn't. Yeah. I also like had such fond memories of our friendship as children. I almost didn't want it to change. Tarnish it. Yeah. So I just I just want to preserve it for how it was. That's quite sweet. So we just kind of I left like it. that. Yeah, but I do miss her. Anyway, um, so the so where did I get to? Oh yeah, accumulation. Attention, intention, as we were talking about, ritual. Um, she speaks to these two friends who um, remained friends forever because every day for six years they would walk to give each other a high five like, on their lunch break. <gasps> that is too that, cute. Yeah. And then it only stopped when one of them became ill. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, so ritual uh, and imagination. She says that some of the, lots of people she's spoken to are friends because they like gave their friend a kidney or decided to be a surrogate or, you know, like, Radical ways of loving your friends. Wow. And grace, which speaks is, for itself. Yes, just treating your friends with compassion and stuff. I feel like we have attention, accumulation, intention and ritual, and grace. Yes, I think we have them all apart from imagination. I think we don't need to I'm be too radical. I'm afraid I haven't given you a kidney yet. No. But, but would you? Uh, maybe. Depends on the context. I was dying. I mean, if you were dying, one. then yeah, I would. But if it was like... Well, it's not like I just fancy yeah. <laughs> No, you're right. Okay, if you actually, like, if you genuinely needed a kidney and I was, like, a right match, then yeah, I would. Okay, I would th- I would do so. Yeah, because yes. you don't need a second kidney anyway, do you? No, like, no. it would make no difference to my life. Like, isn't, it's not like I'm going to, like, die young from not... No. Like, it's not a health impact. No, exactly. Yeah. So, yes, I would. Thank you. I wouldn't be your surrogate, though. Sorry. No, I couldn't be your surrogate. Especially after watching The Handmaid's Tale recently. Oh, no way. Actually, that surprised me, because I would say out of all my friends, you might be the one person that I'm like, I really would want someone who wants children to be able to experience that more than, like, other friends, maybe. I know what you mean. Like, if it's someone that's, like, anti-childbirth, then they're not going to be, like, the first in line. Whereas you're quite pro Yes, but for me. Sorry, but I'm not pushing a baby out for someone else. I think you don't need to worry about that with me. No, I don't think you'll be asking me to be your surrogate. No. Um, We'll have to find another imaginative way and radical way for us to love each other. Yes, if anyone has any ideas, <laughs> let us know. We'll keep you posted, guys. <laughs> and that's it from us today, folks. That uh, is. Gosh, that was a, a freewheeling chat. I know. Loved it, though. Hope you guys managed to follow. How long have we been recording for? A little while. Uh, enjoy. All right, then. See you next week. Fantastic guest yet again. Well done, us. Well done, us. Bye. Bye. <laughs>